Good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another very interesting show lined up for you this week. But later in the program we'll have a look at our Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one, three types of meetings to to stop having. We're also going to have our chat with Christina. We're going to be looking at uh, some of those innovative products that could help you in your business. But right now we're going to have a chat with... Rani Gander, who's a partner with Turnbull Hill Lawyers. We're going to be talking about restraint of trade clauses. Good afternoon, Rani. Hi, Julian. Thanks for joining us again. So I suppose the first start is, uh, what is a restraint of trade? Julian, a restraint of trade is when you agree to be prevented from engaging in a certain role or activities that are in competition with a business that you are either selling or working in. So... Most sale of business contracts will include some type of restraint of trade clause. This clause is designed to protect purchasers by preventing the vendor from opening up a competing business nearby. So in New South Wales, they're governed by the Restraint of Trade Act of 1976. So the example I would give is you go and buy a dog washing business, you buy the van, you buy the signage, um, and then uh, you pay maybe... 15000 for it, and the next week the person that sold it to you opens up opposite you and um, all the customers go to him because they know him. Mm, yeah, and it's common in certain businesses too, isn't it? Like yes, hairdressing, it hairdressing salons, for example. Absolutely. Yeah. So how long should a restraint of trade be for? It, it comes down to a test of reasonableness. So for a restraint to be reasonable, it must satisfy two main requirements. The first is it must be reasonable between the parties to the agreement. And the second is it cannot be harmful to the public interest. So a restraint will be reasonable between the parties if it gives the purchaser no more protection than what is reasonable. So the first step in assessing that is to identify what's called a legitimate protectable interest of the purchaser. So a protectable interest in, is a property right or an interest, but can also include a commercial interest, such as um, confidential information, so uh, say maybe a client list, trade secrets or economies of scale. So there's a number of interests um, which will be relevant when the court determines whether the restraint is reasonable. Um, they'll be included, but not necessarily limited to the activities and conduct caught by the restraint the relative bargaining power of the party. So if you're selling to a, a Bunnings um, and you're a one-man shop, um, what your bargaining power was like with Bunnings, um, the duration of the restraint, how long it's for, the geographical scope. So if you think of a radius and where the crow flies, you know, it could be 5Ks, 100Ks, 150Ks, mm, mm. Um, whether it benefits the vendor um, that receives. So if you're only paying maybe um, $10,000 for, as opposed to you're paying a million dollars for a business, mm. that's going to come into it. Um, and also what's included in the standard practice. And I'd also say the, the size of where you are. So if you're in, um, say, Newcastle, 5Ks is going to have a bigger impact than maybe if you're in Sydney um, or regional. So can I still be employed if I sign the restraint of trade? Look, it depends on what the terms of the restraints are. So we often say to purchasers when we're acting that the court 
will generally accept that a person has the right to earn a living. Um, and if they're not skilled in other areas, then their only option would be to work in the same industry. Um, so, for example, you said the hairdresser. Um, if the hairdresser sells their business but still needs to earn an income, they may not be able to rent a chair, but they may be able to be employed in another salon. Um, in these cases, what we would suggest is you may want to make the restraint connected to the customer or the client so that they cannot contact or solicit the client away from the business that you're buying. People can go wherever they want, but they can't send directly say, I'm over here, come see me over here now. Mm. So will I be bound to it? Look, if you sign it, um, then yes, you will be bound to it unless it fails that test of reasonableness or it's found to be against the public interest. So courts have been stronger in recent years in, in enforcing restraints as they take the view that if you agree to it, if you were paid for it, so you should be bound by it. Um, however, the actual enforcing of restraint of trades, it can be difficult um, and it can be expensive. So there's a, there's a practical component to it. So, so what are the consequences of breaching a restraint of trade? Um, if the vendor has violated the restraint of trade, so the seller, the court may um, could order an injunction. So that's an order to stop a party from doing a particular thing or it could award damages. So the court will calculate the damages according to the lost income and profit the purchaser suffered as a result of the actions of the seller in breaching the restraint. So the facts of the case will determine whether or not the purchaser um, suffered any actual loss, and if so, what amount should be awarded. Is there many cases of this, particularly that uh, the reasonable clause that you were talking about? Because one yeah. of the things that just went through my mind was that uh, one of the uh, things they look at is uh, if the uh, customers are, uh, are not uh, disadvantaged and if, an, if a new person took over a business and had terrible customer service, that would have a disadvantage on the customer, wouldn't it? Yeah, so the, the two... Um recent cases was uh, where the court upheld the restraint and said, yes, it was reasonable. One was it was a, a two-year restraint, but it was across Australia and it was in um, a accountancy practice that sold and the court said, yes, that's reasonable because the purchaser's accountants practiced Australia-wide. Mm. Um, so that was reasonable. Another time where it was upheld was when it was a five-year restraint, so that's getting to the longer end of a restraint period, um, which stopped a partner who had exited a partnership from competing with the business to be reasonable. And what he did in that case was he started contacting previous customers through his wife's company, and they said, no, that's too close. Um, we often uh, draft what we call a cascading clause, which means that we might put the best-case scenario, so say five years, 100 Ks, and then we'll go down to, you know, maybe 10 Ks, 12 months. And mm -hmm. so if the court, if it goes to court and the court goes, look, that's too restrictive, they don't chuck out the whole clause, they just read it down. So it okay. gives a, a little bit more weight to the restraint. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Rani. We'll have a chat with you next month. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Rani Gander there from Turnbull Hill Lawyers, helping us to uh, look at uh, restrictive trade, trade clauses. And you're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM. Time to have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. 
Good afternoon, Julian. A bit a little crazy outside today, a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of rain. Yeah, oh, the sun's gone in again now. <laughs> so we're going to talk about it, some innovative products that can help you in your business. Yes, and I like to think of it as technology meeting the needs of humanity for increased productivity. So how do we get tech to meet our needs or to, uh, to actually enhance things that might be going on for us that we may not even be aware of. Um, and there's a few different products that have come out uh, in the last couple of years uh, and, and even more recently. So one of our favourite ones is uh, the Omnicam. So there's, a, it, there's one called Mini-Me, and it, and it, what it, or sorry, the Orcam Mini-Me. And what it does is it, I can wear it on my lapel, and I could be meeting you or you could be walking towards me down the street, and I know that I know you and I know we've had interactions uh, and... I can, it'll buzz me and it'll bring up any social media contact that we've had and I'll be able to see that, hey, I'm talking, this is Julian Campbell that is approaching me. Here's the last conversation that you had with me if that's how I choose to log it. Um, so it's almost like this memory jog because we meet so many people uh, and, you know, sometimes our brains just are so full that they, they can't retrieve the information that they need. But it's also being used by cafe owners so the, the Orcam will be hanging uh, behind uh, the, the bar at a cafe. A client will come up, order something, or will say hello. You'll be able to actually say hello to that client, use their name, and know what their order is. How so is, it's that whole familiarity. Is it uh, being transmitted by visual or sound? Or So what, what can happen at its ultimate is that I'm wearing the camera. Yeah. It buzzes my watch. Okay. Uh, and my watch then says, give yep. me the alert, and I can go into my phone uh, and go into the app and get the message. So it's a use of facial ID, really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is a use of facial ID. There were some privacy issues around it. We actually have to be connected um, in order for it to work. It can't just randomly pick a face off the street. It has to be one of my contacts, one of my connections, in order for it to work like that. Mm. Uh, but, you know, that's just one of the ways that that technology is enhancing businesses. Again, you know, we keep saying every week, tech can be used for good or for bad. It's the human right. behind of course. the use. Yeah, so if we want to invade someone's privacy, uh, you know, the, the ability potential is there, but it also has the potential to enrich um, relationships. Yeah. The other one that, that I've recently acquired and that I am enjoying slash not enjoying is an Oura ring. So the purpose of this ring, and there's other devices that do it, you know, um, Apple Watches, um, some of the other sports athletics products do it, but it measures my sleep and mm. it measures the quality of my sleep and it actually gives me a readiness score, uh, tells me how long I've been in deep sleep for, etc. So it gives me all these, whether my temperature's gone up, what my heart rate has been overnight. So preventative um, health, so very much wellness focused, uh, but also it encourages me to change my habits. So I actually know some people who have ditched it because they don't want to be reminded about how unready they might be for the day and how much more sleep they should have had. Uh, but you can use it to enhance your how you're living, what your habits are. And when you do that, we're enhancing productivity. So all of these at the end of the day have health and wellness. So how am I going to remain healthy, stay healthy longer so that I can be my best self. And at work, that means how can I increase my productivity? How can I be a better boss? How can I be a better employee? How can we all get on, you know, have this team 
united front because then mm. nobody has to be cranky or, you know, whatever, mm. be down, etc. The other one that I really like, there's a, um, a kit called Viome. Uh, again, there's many others that do the same thing, but it you do a, a sample uh, and it measures uh, everything in your gut. So whereas, so I did this test and, and, you know, I eat lots of kale and lots of spinach and I love kale chips and everything. And then I find out, that kale, lo and behold, is actually not good for my metabolism as it is right at this point of time. So here I am doing something that I believe to be of benefit to my body uh, and my body is unable to use the nutrition that theoretically should be coming from that source. So very much uh, personalised and this is what we're finding. The Oura Ring gives me my personal sleep record. Biome gives me my personal gut analysis. And as um, you say, so, that's, yeah. this is very important in business that we, we need to be uh, healthy. Yeah, and we need to be at our best selves. You know, mm. particularly, let's face it, business is stressful, particularly right now. So mm. if we can use tech to meet the needs of humanity to actually help us feel a little bit better about what we're doing or give us a little bit of guidance, that is fantastic. The other thing, um, I don't know, there's, there was some news this morning, I'm not sure who... Uh, out of our listeners would have been who would be aware of it now, but Trello have just made uh, an incredible number of updates. So you now get five new views. I'm not going to um, spend time on the show explaining that. If you're no. into Trello, you'll know. Otherwise, go look it up. Um, but what it means is that it's much easier and much more productive tool. These uh, it's been purchased by Atlassian a little while ago. Atlassian is an Australian company, which is why I don't mind saying who they are and you know what they're doing. Uh, but there, but it has. It's a project management tool. There are lots of project management tools out there. You almost need to employ somebody to tell you which are the best project management tools for your business uh, and how you can connect all your, you know, whether you're on HubSpot or Salesforce or all these other, whether you're using Trello or Monday or Atlas or um, uh, oh, what's the other one that we use? It starts with A. Anyway, that one. Uh, but how, which are the best ones for the organisation? And we really need to be mindful that some organisations don't let you use some forms of communication. So how do you tie it in, particularly some government platforms? How do we tie it in so that we have the most seamless and productive uh, efforts that we can in our business? And that's gonna, only going to save us time and stress in the long run. And a lot of these tools are free. I mean, Trello's, Trello's got a free version which works very well in our business. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah they do. And, and you know, you, so I think that is a, that's a really good to let people know a lot of them at at a certain level are free once you want to step up of course you're going to pay people have spent money developing things you know it's like conferences oh, meetings whatever people have spent money putting them together and they're they in business too that's right they are in business and their business is making our lives easier so happy to pay but streamline process don't have 50 project management tools happening within your organization see how they can all talk together and were you saying there was a change some changes to zoom or uh yeah so zoom's had some updates and there's more coming so um zoom are actually going into the conference space so we've, we've got a plethora of conference options now um we've got a summit coming up in march and we've taken it online and you know sometimes it's it's not a bad thing to have something online because you take out the friction of mm. having to book hotels mm. and having to book flights and having to book Ubers and everything else, particularly now uh, where, you know, I mean, Victoria came out of lockdown yesterday, five days ago, it was out of lockdown, you know, for the last five days it's been in lockdown. So we really, in this very uncertain time, 
Um, and I think it's going to continue through for, for another yeah. year anyway, yeah. with, with or definite. without the vaccine. Yeah, definite, absolutely. Because by the time we actually feel safe enough to go to different places, and I think there's going to be some transition point. You know, there's, there'll be places, times where it'll be really good to go and meet face-to-face um, with people, and there'll be times where it will be just as convenient to jump online, learn something for a few hours, be able to go back and hear the recording a little bit later. You know, mm, so mm. I think we're, we're entering a time where all things um, will be available and we'll be able to pick what is best for our needs. Mm, great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Christina. We'll uh, have a chat again next week. We will indeed. I look forward to it, Julie. Have a good have week. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Christina there with some of those uh, innovative products. And it's very important, isn't it? Those uh, technical things can help us in our business, but obviously you can also swamp yourself too. So you want to pick the ones that suit you and learn the best you can for them. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. Just time for our Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one's an interesting one. We've just been talking about meetings and uh, whether we do them online or face-to-face. Three types of meetings to stop having. In order to have fewer, more purposeful meetings, there are a few types that we need to stop having pronto. The worst offenders include, first of all, convenience meetings. When managers have information to disseminate to a large group, they often get everyone in a room together, but this usually disrupts work, wastes time. Uh, Next time, circulate a memo or have several one-on-one conversations. The second one is formality meetings. These meetings are called as a matter of tradition or habit. If you have to go looking for items to add to an agenda, you probably don't need to have the meeting anymore. And finally, social meetings. Some meetings are called under the guise of collaboration or alignment, when in in reality they are just landscape goal meetings. They're a pretty lousy waste of time uh, to foster Instead, find, invite people to team-building activity, retreat or a party, but make it optional. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll look at the importance of mediation with Dr John Woodward from Newcastle University Law School. We'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, The Law and You, same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Anne Frank once said, how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve the world.